Once upon a time, in a faraway land, I woke up and realized I am going to be a dentist. <laughs> Said like no one ever. These are the real stories, not fairy tales, as we go behind the smiles. This is a podcast where we interview and chat with some of the biggest leaders in dentistry, learn their stories, and share their motivation with your host, Dr. Gina Dorfman. Today's podcast is brought to you by Yappy, an automated paperless software for dentists and their teams. Learn more at yappyapp.com. Welcome back. You're listening to part two. I love everything you just said, um, especially the part about not just getting the right people, but getting the right people in the right jobs. I think that a lot of times in dentistry as business owners, you know, we talk about, you know, we say things like business is hard. I just want to do dentistry. I don't know how to um, motivate people. I don't know how to uh, manage employees. And and really, you know, I don't believe in managing people. I, I don't think, you know, People can be motivated externally. I think people wake up in the morning and they're either motivated or not. And I think getting the right people who are already motivated, who are already excited, who believe in your mission and your vision and finding these people, training them and making sure that they are on the right seat, like you and I would have been terrible assistants and there's nothing you can do to motivate me to do endo. You couldn't pay me enough to do endo. And yet there was, when I started my absolute favorite, so you like taking money from people. I like taking money from insurance companies. My most favorite jobs of a job of all times, more than um, the the even even dentistry. My favorite job was insurance billing. I yeah. love this. I love challenging denials. It was just you know, and when I got paid after like a second denial or appeal or whatever, that was like you know, it was a parade on my street. Right, and and you know, it was something that I was motivated. Um, from within to do. And I love that job. And, and, and no one had to tell me how to do it. No one, you know, I've learned myself, of course, because there's no onboarding pro- um, um, process in dentistry. And I know w- where Bonnie got this because Bonnie came from the corporate environment, right? right. <laughs> in our software company, for example, and we're a small company. We are just um, close to about 50 employees right now at Yappy. So uh, when we bring people in, we train them for six weeks before anyone gets to pick up the phone. Love it. Dentistry, it's like, here's the phone, go. (laughs) Sit next to Debbie and learn by osmosis. During the working interview, we're like, here, go prep a crown. (laughs) (laughs) So tell me a little bit about the onboarding process. What do you recommend when you go and you coach offices? What kind of process do you recommend for them? We do, we break it down by systems. Again, it goes back to that, having that core system in place. So we talk about, you know, what the job position is first and what are the key skills? So there's this one section where it's all the things they need to know about the office, the insurance policies, you know, getting in the office, the, the alarm system, the basic stuff they need. And then we start diving in a very logical way based on their position in the office of what they should learn first, second, third, fourth, and just it's, it's a system. And by the time they get through that onboarding process, we know they're ready to pick up that phone or, or post that insurance check or seat the patient and we're comfortable letting them fly solo. 
and it, it could be a shadowing process, but it's all about the system. And again, we've got standard ones that we'll go in with. We never stick to the standards because it's got to match the office and the office philosophy. It's good to have a base to start with. We've, we've yet to meet an office that's the same. They're just, they're not. They're not cookie cutter. So we've got to take those systems and match it to their philosophy and where they want their employees and their team to be. We love our verbal skills too. We have an entire section on verbal skills and, and we never say, you know, we never give somebody a verbal skill and say, say it exactly this way, but, but that's part of that onboarding system as well. They need to know how would we like for you to answer the phone and then you take it and make it your own. You know, if, if somebody immediately asked you take my insurance, how do you teach them how to turn that conversation into about the patient and not about the insurance? Right. So we we love our verbal skills too. I think it's very important to be able to take control of a conversation, especially when a new patient calls. And, you know, I hear, and this is, I I have no statistics on that. This is just my belief, but, and maybe you'll be able to either confirm or or challenge that. But um, I hear that a lot of new patients don't show that the highest no-show rate is uh, with new patients. And I think what really happens is when they call the office, they get that first impression of the office. You know, when you sometimes walk into the restaurant and I, it happened to me multiple times, I go in and I'm hungry and I want to eat, but I walk in and I just get that feeling that I just don't want to eat here. And before I talk to anyone, before I even look at the menu, you walk out, right? And the right. same thing happens on that new patient phone call. They don't um, hang up, obviously, but a lot of them will either say, you know, they'll talk to the front office for a little bit and then they'll say, uh, okay, well, let me check my calendar and I'll call you back. But some of them feel cornered and they'll make an appointment and then they hang up and they just don't want to go to that office. I believe it happens a lot uh, more than we realize. And I, and I think that really training the team to, to turn that phone call around. I mean, a lot of phone calls kind of go like this. Oh, thank you for calling the Smiling Seal Dentistry. Uh, This is Debbie. How can I help you? Uh Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. Okay. For sure. Till five. No, I don't think we do that. Uh, I actually don't know that. Okay. Uh, Yeah. Well, let me tell you how insurance works. (laughs) You you know, and then they give this, you know, insurance one-on-one presentation and then they try to make the appointment and, and they really just never took control of the conversation. Is that true? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And even when the patient, when the first thing you answer the phone, you're so excited, you've got these verbal skills. And then the patient says, um, yeah, do you take my insurance? I have United. And, and that's how the conversation starts. And then unfortunately, a lot of times that's where it goes, where, um, you know, I'm that horrible person. I'll call a medical office. And if the first thing they say is, um, what insurance do you have? I'll say, well, do you want to know anything about me? (laughs) Yeah. Can we talk about me for just a minute before I tell you about my insurance? So (laughs) I think it's really important that we re-educate the dental world because I think we as Americans really truly feel like dental and dental insurance is exactly like medical insurance. You know, we get two free cleanings per year and I don't even really need to see the dentist, but if I do, I don't have to pay anything. And, and, and as we all know who are in the industry, that's just not the way it is, but it's our responsibility to educate the patients. Yeah. And I think that kind of goes back to the original point of that new employee and bringing up, 
That's probably the most important touch point in a new patient's experience. Why would you let somebody that just started yesterday pick up that phone? I mean, it just, it makes no sense in my mind. (laughs) They should pick it up when they're ready to pick it up and they're educated with all these skills. Absolutely. I once had this um, lady in my chair, a new patient, and um, she was a little nervous. And I said, don't worry, you're in the right place. Uh, we'll take good care of you. And she said, I know you came highly recommended. And I said, oh, who recommended me? She said, Carmen. I said, my front office, Carmen, how do you know her? She goes, well, I don't. But when I called and I, and I told Carmen that I was nervous, she said, you were amazing. She said, you were patient, that patients love you. I mean, that's, that's the conversation. That's the conversation that should be taking place at the front, not I mean, insurance is important, sure. You know, and if we accidentally make an appointment for someone whose insurance we don't take, we can later verify them, we can call and apologize, but that should not be the focus. We often, we train patients how to treat us. And if we focus on insurance more than people, then um, that's what, that's the lesson that we teach them, mm-hmm. right? Kudos to Carmen. Yeah. <laughs> Carmen's your best referral. You know, I, I want to circle back around because this goes back to our leadership, right? It goes back to having passion. Uh, our, our business owners, our doctors having the passion. Mm-hmm. And, and we were kind of talking about this a little bit earlier. You said, Dr. Gina, about, you know, you're, you're, self, you're a self-motivated person. And, and I am too. But if I go into an office every single day where the leadership is just grumpy McGrump pants, <laughs> and um, could care less whether or not he he or she is has a team. All they want to do is dentistry, and, and actually they don't even really like the dentistry anymore. My motivation is going to go down, regardless of how self-motivated and passionate I am every single day. And And I would say that's one of our biggest challenges, I think, is it's really hard as a coach when somebody hires you to come in and fix a problem, and they're the problem. Oh and my goodness, yes. As, as we all know, it's really difficult to look look in the mirror, to look at somebody else and say, you know what, I think I might be the problem here. But that passion has to resonate from the top and trickle down. But that also being said, your team has got to lift that person up too, right? They have to appreciate the doctor or the ownership. They have to appreciate the fact that, this is an amazing opportunity for me that I get to come in here every single day and spend my life this way. And Oh, by the way, I get a paycheck for this as well. Um, But it's that constant, we have to lift each other up thing. It can't be just one person on the team trying so hard all the time. That's true. I often say that the CEO is the chief energizing officer on the team. But when you have, I mean, generally just having someone in the office who, um, you know, who is draining your energy, who is a negative person. Um, you know, I recently recorded a podcast with um, Dr. Michael Ling from uh, The Practice on Fire. Um, we're actually going to have a meeting coming up. So we've been recording a few um, uh, podcasts just kind of promote the meeting and uh uh, we talked about having those toxic people on the team. And sometimes it's the practice owner who is toxic. That's absolutely true. Yeah. And uh, but, but nevertheless, whenever someone is toxic, 
they have to go. They have to go quickly. Is that something that you have to do? De- I mean, consultants kind of, of course, you're coaches, but uh, consultants kind of have a bad rep. And I think some team members are, are hesitant and, and worry that a consultant is going to go in and, you know, am I going to still have my job? Uh, how do you um, deal with that if you figure out that someone, obviously you can't get rid of the owner, but uh, how do you deal with an employee who is toxic and, and, you know, and a lot of times it's someone who, um, you know, the owner thinks she's the best employee. She's the hardest working. She's, you know, she's always the one who is rolling the eyes at other employees. You can't delegate anything to them. I'm the only one who does anything around here. Sometimes it's that key person. How do you deal with that? I think it's, it's never our first instinct to say this one's got to go or what we found is a lot of times that culture or that negativity sometimes is coming out of the fact that they were never trained or they're, they just aren't comfortable in their job and it's creating this toxic environment. So I think our go-to is always let's dig in. Let's figure out what the real problem is. Is it education? How do we get this employee up to speed? Is this employee better suited in this chair in the office? Are they truly a fit for our culture? And I think it's, it's very important for the leader or for the doctor to, to be vigilant of the culture in the practice and they have to take ownership of it. So we, we go the, down a path of let's figure it, is it fixable? Can we, can we turn this around is always our first go to it. When it comes to, okay, this is a problem. We do have a, a toxic employee in here. For me, it's all about, again, the message back to the leader. It's the message you're sending to the good employees is, is bad it, because they never want to let people go. And that's, fine until we've exhausted all opportunities. Once we get there, you're sending the message to the people who show up every day and they're committed to the culture and they're in it to win it. That one, it's so it, it's conversation, it's awareness, it's making sure we've done everything and we've got them in the right seat and that we've given the education they need and making healthy decisions. But I want to say too, there's a reason why people act the way they do when somebody from the outside comes in. So building off of what Bonnie said, it's either that they feel insecure in their job. When we come in, if they have attitude and if they're exhibiting bad behavior, I'm just going to say it, bad behavior, childish behavior, whatever it may be, it is, it's, it, they're insecure in their job. And it's either because what, exactly what Bonnie said, um, they they weren't trained and, and they act like they know it all, but when in fact they truly don't, that doesn't make them a bad employee. Or in fact, when they are a bad employee because they're doing something that they shouldn't be doing, right? Um, and, and the other, you know, your team will almost tell you everything. If you get emails or phone calls from the team before you show up saying that the doctor is never going to take your advice, <laughs> never going to change, or when you have a team meeting and you think you have a breakthrough and then afterward the team tells you, it was great, we're glad you're here, but none of this is going to change. It never does. You're the 15th consultant we've had. <laughs> <laughs> kind of know right (laughs) maybe it's not just the team on this one but but we really do go in in the state of mind of let's find the very best person in every single one of these team members and then help them be more successful um and then inevitably day one or day two 
something rears its head and we discover, oh, there's a little bit more to this story going on. But it's never our intent to walk in and and let anybody go. That's That would be crazy. But unfortunately, sometimes it does happen. The other factor that you'll find with the employees that are bad employees is conflict management. You've got some weird little conflict that's been going on between two employees that everybody keeps pushing under the rug and ignoring, but everybody knows about. And it's as a coach taking that conflict to resolution and getting them in the room, getting them talking. It all starts with a conversation, but it's, it's trying to get into the root cause and protecting the culture. I love that, Bonnie, because that goes back to one of our number one systems that we put into place in every single office is conflict resolution. How? To, because we know a lot of times the leaders, the owners, they just, they turn and run and they're like, you guys work this out on your own. And then they're like, there's no issue. There's no issue. There's no issue. Um, literally just addressing the problem sometimes is all it takes. I, I, I'm really glad you brought this up and I, I want to talk a little bit more about this because um, a lot of times when I'm on Dental Town or in any of the Facebook groups, this question comes up all the time. And I think, I don't know if as dentists, we're just not very good at um, dealing with conflict. Maybe, I don't know if we're conflict averse or, or just, you know, maybe a little more um, introverted or maybe... Um, we just don't have the skills, but uh, how would you handle that? What's your best advice to someone who has a conflict in the office and they don't know how to approach that? Well, the, the very first thing I want to say is if you look at human being demographic as a whole, the majority of human beings don't like conflict. True. No, there's a very small percentage of people who run head first into it. And, and some of those people are called drama queens, but <laughs> so there, as a whole, we don't, we don't like conflict. And, and I think getting rid of that very first word is, is part of solving the problem. Having a, a, an adult, professional, compassionate conversation with somebody does not mean it has to be a conflict. You know, human beings as a whole, we don't agree on every single thing that the other person in our life or people in our lives do. That doesn't mean it has to be a conflict. That doesn't mean that it has to be a confrontation. It means that we address how this affects our professional life and how do we make it better. It doesn't have to be this big, huge thing that nobody addresses and then it turns into a big huge thing and by then there's tears and but she doesn't like me and they ignore me at lunch they never invite me to go after hours with them when in fact it it was it didn't start that way at all right so for me it's having an adult compassionate professional conversation first and then if there's absolutely no to, no way whatsoever these people are going to get along with each other, then we move into, okay, we've got, we do actually have a conflict we have to resolve here. And, and Bonnie's really good at this too, because she's, she's got that calming factor that makes everybody in the room feel good about themselves, whether she's trying to or not. Um, so I'll let her kind of talk about that because she's, she's, she's very good at it. Well, I, I truly believe any conflict we've come into that it, if you go in, into it with a compassionate heart, because I don't think there's the majority of the time, there's never malicious intent. 
it's miscommunication. It's the way things were perceived. And I think that every, I believe in human beings and that there, there never is a malicious attempt. If we uncover it was, that's a whole different conversation. For me, it's, it's about just talking about it and believing in the person that's sitting across from you didn't come at, at that with an ill will and they weren't trying to hurt you. So it's just having that trust in each other to talk it out. I absolutely agree with that. I think that in general, uh, when people come to work, they have the intention of doing a good job. No one wants to go to the office and just be bad and and not get along with other people. I think by you know by nature we are you know we like building communities. We like being a part of the community. We like to feel accomplished and important. Um, employees don't. They're not like children. You know going there, you know, pulling on the strings. And I don't believe it. Yes, there are some drama queens. And, and you know, the, the, the one way you spot a, a drama queen is that she would never call herself that. She would, she, she would always talk about other people as being drama queens. Um, but, you know, there's a great book called Difficult Conversations. And what this book talks about is different perspectives. And I think that that's a lot of the conflicts at the office start with different perspectives. And um, um, I, I'll give you the, actually an example, a conversation that I had yesterday in my office. Um, we had a hygiene meeting. We usually have like a series of meetings where we have um, a, an office-wide meeting every two months. And then every week I'll meet with a specific department. And then I'll meet also with individual employees on a periodic basis. Not uh, like a performance evaluation, but sort of like, hey, how are you doing? How can we help you? Um, you know, what do you need right now? That type of conversation. But we had a hygiene meeting and the hygienist mentioned that sometimes when the assistants see their patients, they don't bring the instruments into the room. And then they said, well, you know, it kind of makes us look bad because we show up, we say hello to the patient, and then we have to leave to get the instruments. And, you know, it's funny because we had that system before, but I guess with turnover, somehow this little piece went missing. And so, and they said, you know, we, we, and I think the perception was that the assistants aren't trying to be really helpful. And so next time at the meeting, I'm talking to the assistants. And I said, you know, I think it would be nice if you would bring the instruments. And one assistant said, well, the reason we stopped is because sometimes they go to back and they need a different instrument. So we don't always know what kind of instruments they want. And we don't want to open the instruments and have them re-sterilized. And that's the exact idea here where something that completely made sense to the assistants, don't bring the instruments because they're going to get what they need themselves was perceived as, you know, maybe they're not being really helpful. And that's, you know, and, and because we have those conversations, we kind of prevented that into becoming a conflict. It's all about a conversation. Starts with a conversation. Exactly. In the few minutes that we have left, um, talk to me about if someone wanted your help, what would be the process and, and um, you know, how would you help them? Um, you can, we have a great website. We're on Facebook, of course. Our website is practicedynamics.net. Uh, Facebook, same thing, facebook.com, practice dynamics um, group. Bonnie and I are always available via email, phone. You guys can reach out to us. Our emails are pretty easy. It's our first name. So lacy.phillips at practicedynamics.net, bonnie.pugh, P-U-G-H, at practicedynamics.net. 
we're, we love, we're happy to get on the phone and have a complimentary phone conversation with anybody. Tell us what's going on in your practice. We'll talk to you about how we might be able to help. We have a couple of different services available to our clients. And then of course, the SOP manual. If, uh, if anybody out there is like, holy cow, we need one of those. We'd be happy to talk to you about it and, and tell you the process of doing that. We, we love working with our teams. We have some clients that we've had um, for a while. And, and, you know, the idea is, though, that you don't have a, a, an office for 10 years unless you become their life coach, right? <laughs> but the goal is to coach enhance, become successful, and um, kick the birds out of the nest. But we do love working with our teams. We're nationwide. We go anywhere. Um, anywhere they want us, we'll go. Thank you so much. Uh, so there you go, folks. Uh, Lacey and Bonnie of Practice Dynamics, Building Teams, Refining Systems, and Leveraging Technology. Thank Woo! you so much. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, you're very generous with your time, and I loved, love, love talking to you, and I can't wait to chat again soon. Yeah, let's do it again. Thank you again so much. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Behind the Smiles. This podcast episode was brought to you by Yappy. Not only does Yappy automate the busy work, it lets you get back to focusing on what's most important, your patience. So take a complimentary demo today at yappyapp.com.